You are listening to the Antler and Featherco Podcast. Hey guys, what's going on? Vince here and welcome back to another Antler and Featherco Podcast, the podcast for new and adult onset hunters. This is a podcast where I, a newer and experienced hunter, talk to people who do know a thing or two. And as I learn all these new things, I just want to pass them right along to you guys. Hey, before we get carried away with the show, I want to take a second to tell you guys a little something about Buzzard Roost saddles. These saddles say they ain't fancy, but I beg to differ. They are the most comfortable and the most adjustable saddles on the market. That's really all you need to know about them. If you want to get one for yourself, use code AAFP10 to get yourself 10% off your very own Buzzard Roost saddle. I also want to remind you, get yourself signed up for the Antler and Featherco Best Buck Championship. This is your chance to take home the title, the belt, the new gas bowstring, the Buzzard Roost saddle, a grunt call, hats. It is just a kick-ass prize package for the winners. Details can be found on our Instagram page, at Antler Featherco. The post is pinned at the top of our grid. Now, let's get this thing going. Today's guest is a total vegan, hates hunting, and just, I'm just kidding, this dude is the exact opposite of a vegan. He's actually a butcher, and he loves carving up a freshly harvested animal and turning it into amazing dishes that make my mouth water every time the guy posts something new. He's out of the great state of Pennsylvania. He has served our country, so thank you for that. Um, He served in the Navy. He has a wildlife degree and is now a butcher and a private chef. So with that, please welcome to the show, the Hungry Huntsman, Gunnar Emberg. Hey, what's going on, Gunnar? Hey, how you doing, man? Did you get I'm out to hunt good. tonight? I did not, no. I got, I, I've had to really like uh, kind of structure things because usually it was just, you know, in the past two years, it's been trying to navigate around kids and things like that. And now it's like, I get off work, got to navigate the kids and the wife, got to also navigate trying to record podcasts and it seems like with my podcasts it's it's a good and a bad thing i would like to do one recording a week and then put it out one recording a week put it out well mine tend to go here's four guys and this is the only time they can do it is this week so i got one i got you tonight one tomorrow one saturday and one sunday which it is good because then i'm done for like a month um i don't like doing it that way though because it kind of it can have like dates you know it'll date itself a little bit so but anyway no i didn't get out to hunt have you you're i assume already out and getting after it have you put anything down yet this year no i'm not putting anything down uh had a shot of a doe but didn't want to take that one it was uh actually opening day here um you know hurt near right at dark actually about a 40 yard shot and just in a field and everything i'm like you know, I'm shooting high-end arrows, high-end broadheads. It's, you know, about 70 bucks going down the range yep. every time. I'm like, I don't want to lose this thing right now. So I didn't take the shot. Um, it's been a little bit colder this year up here than normal. Normally, October for us, you know, we're still pushing high 70s, um, maybe, you know, low 60s, something like that. So far, it's been colder, but not a lot of deer movement yet. Yeah. We haven't had nearly the deer movement as i've seen in the past years or anything like that yeah that's kind of ours started out hot and then we had our first cold front and uh i saw more deer when it was hot than during our cold front which is kind of frustrating but where i was hunting the the corn is still in the field so my best guess as an inexperienced guy is that the the deer kind of traveled to the corn when they knew that cold front was coming and just probably bedded in there and that's why i didn't see him coming in and out. I could be dead wrong, but that that's what I told myself to make myself feel better about it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's, that's, uh, that's always a thing that happens up here too. And I I learned a trick a while ago off a, uh, old farmer in a way he would always plant his corn rows a little bit further apart because he wasn't farming to just produce corn. It was kind of like a hobby, letting someone else kind of do it, stuff like that. So during the rain, he would walk through the cornfield because it keeps you quiet at that point. He would just poke his head through a row, look up and down it, see if he saw anything bedded in there, and he'd just keep going like that. And if you ever saw a doe or something bedded, he'd back up a couple rows, work his way over, pop right out in front of it, and shoot it like 10 yards. Really? <laughs> yeah. Hey, man, yeah, that's, and, uh, that's a damn good way to do it. Yeah, I'm mean, sneaky as hell, man. I mean, I've tried that up here, and our cornrows are about a foot apart, so I can't yep. make that happen up here. Right, right. 
So when I first talked to you, we kind of talked about, uh, you know, most hunters hunt partially because they want to know where their meat comes from. Uh, they right. want to know how to best utilize that meat. Um, so we're going to discuss some things about kind of meat and meat quality um, and what can affect quality. Uh, we're also going to get into using different parts of the deer that I think a lot of people probably just toss out because they don't think it's any good. Um, right. And you definitely know how to make something great out of those. Yep. Um, so I'm, I'm excited about this one. We're going to cut into a prayer real quick and then we'll just hop in. Sound right. good? Yeah. All right. Lord Jesus, um, we thank you for what you did on the cross in our place. Um, without that, we would have absolutely no hope. Um, we would be wandering a, a, just an evil world. And at the end, we would just be an evil for eternity. And you selflessly came down. Um, you paid that debt that we couldn't pay. You lived the life we couldn't live. And uh, because of that, now we can freely... Um, just worship you, glorify you and the Father, and I, I'm just so thankful for that. I'm thankful for Gunner. I'm thankful for his time and his willingness to come on here and share everything that he knows with us, and uh, I ask that you just make this a great conversation, be with us, and we ask all of this in your great name. Amen. There all right. So, kind of tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you get into hunting and then from there, how did you get into, you know, wanting to be a butcher and a wild game chef? Yeah, man. So I grew up in your typical kind of backwoods, small town place, you know, grew up hunting and fishing, stuff like that. But nothing that was ever like, I would go and do it by myself. You know, I'd go out, you know, opening day, trout season, opening day, rifle season, maybe stick around a couple of days, something like that. But nothing super major. Joined the Navy right out of high school. And I, you know, I got to give credit to my, the, first boss I ever had in the Navy about three weeks after I got there, he's like, Hey, like, let's go buy a bow. And I was like, yeah, man, I got all this boot camp money. Like, heck yeah, let's go. You know, bought my first bow and I was hooked ever since, you know, and I don't know if it was that I was just good at it or picked it up really quick or whatever, but you know, I was out there within a couple of weeks shooting 70, 80 yards. And you know, all the guys I was practicing with were shooting, you know, maybe 30, 40 or whatever. And I'm like, man, I really enjoy this and it looks like I'm kind of better than most people at it right now. So I'm going to, you know, I'm really going to give this a shot. And, uh, I was up in Illinois too. So you, no rifle, you know, only slug guns and stuff. And that's, that's, that's just not me. You know, I'd much rather just use a bow up there and everything like that. So yeah. really got into it there. Thought, you know, I knew what it was all about. Thought I knew everything I got screwed a couple times on you know a bunch of deer that you know i thought i had it in the bag and uh, no not even nope. close you know <laughs> yeah um so you know finally got one and uh my buddy was like hey man like i don't know process around here let's just cut it up ourselves he's like i do this all the time and i was like yeah like sure man like whatever that's fine we'll do it did it in his garage on base housing Blood was running down the driveway. We had the cops called on us. <laughs> Base police showed up and they're like, what in the heck is going on right now? And we're like, we just got a deer, man. That's it. And they were like, oh, all right. Like, that's fine. Just don't let the neighbor see it again. All right, cool. So we go, I cook some stuff, you know, burgers, stuff like that. He invites me over and he's like, hey, man, like, try this backstrap. You know, he butterflied it, did the whole Italian dressing marinade. And I was like, well, this kind of sucks, man. Like, this is not good at all. <laughs> You know, it's tough shoe leather, like the silver skin still on the back strap. Just, uh, it tasted like heck, you know? So I'm like, I can do this better. And I live on like in the barracks on base where I, I'm not even supposed to cook in my room. I have a steamer and a hot plate. And even that's like super illegal. Like I can get real big trouble <laughs> for that, you know? Uh, gave it a shot, turned out great. And I was like, man, like I really like it. So started learning all that type of stuff. And, uh, Ended up getting out of the Navy 2017, knew that I wanted to work in the woods, be, you know, in forestry or wildlife or something, got a wildlife degree, wasn't really my jam, ended up going to work for forestry. And, you know, I like that a lot better with just trees. I'm not tackling deer, and putting socks over their heads and stuff like that, like they would do for surveys and stuff. So I like that. Ended up just having a really bad boss, got in with a brewery in town that, you know, it worked out pretty good there. But all through that time, you know, growing up, everything like that, my dad didn't want me to watch cartoons. So I'd watch Food Network instead or History Channel or something. So 
right now my head is just, you know, one big encyclopedia of techniques for cooking and everything like that. And I just throw that into whatever I'm cooking at that time. You know, like tonight, this was one of the first times I've ever cooked moose and I absolutely nailed it just because I have the confidence going into these meals that I know I can fix it if I mess it up and it's not going to turn out like Italian marinated over grilled backstraps. <laughs> well, that that's definitely good. And yeah, you uh, guys, he sent me the picture of what he made tonight. I think it was it moose ragu. Or, yeah, I, moose I think, ragu. I don't know if you called it. Most of your stuff is super fancy sounding. Yeah. And <laughs> I'm like, all I need to know is what meat is in it, and then it looks great, and that's good by me. <laughs> but yeah, it, it looked amazing, man. So yeah, I'll be over you. for dinner next weekend. Hey, um, I've had it, man. I'll, I'll make the trip. His stuff looks <laughs> that good, seriously. Um, so just to kind of jump into, I, I kind of want to cover some different questions about like meat quality. Um, yeah. They may be a little more off the wall, so I, I don't mean to put you on the spot. If you don't know, you don't know. Um, right. It's just kind of some some different things. Most people, you know, they hear like the, the number one thing with your meat quality is how you handle it in the field after a shot. Um, and what kind of shot put the deer down, how long did it take things like that? But I was kind of wondering, yeah. like, does the region that the, the deer or the animal, whatever it may be you're hunting, does the region that it lives in affect the flavor of the meat? Um, like, Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Depending on yeah. what they're eating or like what, what can regionally yep. change with the, with meat flavor? Um, so I'll give you a couple examples, right? So a lot of people will say like wild antelope, like they'll go pronghorn hunting or something like that. They eat a lot of sagebrush. So the meat will actually tend to have a like almost sagey flavor to it. So you're not going to want to go and pair that with, you know, something very sweet that it doesn't tie into, you know? Um, actually there are bear, they're blueberry bear, you know, they'll kind of like a spring tag, summer tag, something like that all they eat is blueberries around that time when the blueberries are, uh, you know, ripe and everything like that. The meat can actually have a purplish tint to it because they eat so many blueberries and really? it's, it gives this odd sweetness to it as well that you just, you pick your mind about if you don't know what it, what's going on there. Um, I have tasted deer from, you know, PA naturally. That's kind of what I grew up on here. It has, a very distinct flavor compared to, you know, your over-the-counter beef or something like that. But it's also a lot different than, you know, the whitetails that I would hunt out in Illinois or something like that. It's not necessarily better or worse. Um, it's almost like in wine, you know, wine producing stuff like that over in France, they call it a terroir. It's what the flavor of the land gives. And that's some wines are classified super highly just because of the land they're grown in already, you know? Right. So. Yeah. I was, I've, I've heard, uh, I think it was uh meat eater. Maybe I was watching and Ranella was talking about those blueberry bears Yeah. and I just, I'm, I'm a hundred percent certain I'll never, I'll probably <laughs> never get to try it, but man, it really, it really, it's, it's actually what kind of made me want to like get into bear hunting, which I have not done right. yet. Yeah. Um, but I know I can go, I'm in Iowa, so I can go like up to Wisconsin or somewhere like that. And right. yeah, I would love to get an archery bear, like archery black bear. Um, I've heard some things about bear, like it's really good if you do things a certain way, but it can be really bad if I, I'm not really sure any more than that, but right. Yeah. Um, I'm willing to try. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, personally, bear is one of my favorites. It is one of the fattier wild games out there. Um, just the meat is inundated with fat all through it and everything like that. The fat caps on the back and everything are so big that you can actually render them down and, you know, have bear grease and stuff like that to cook with almost like bacon grease, you know? Yeah. Um, bear to me is very great for low and slow, like pulled bear or, you know, braising stuff like that. You can make sausages out of it and you don't really have to add too much pork or you know beef fat or pork fat or anything to it because it already has the fat built into it itself yeah um actually a bear opens here on saturday i have a cornfield about 75 yards from my house that they have rolled over about 50 percent of it so oh, i'm yeah. very excited to get up there this year and try to get a bear in our tree that's awesome yeah i uh i got a buddy i believe he, yeah he's out in 
he's on Pennsylvania, I believe. Um, Jeff, if you're listening, and uh, he sent me a, a picture, I think uh, about a week ago. I think it was of his son or somebody he knows, and they were in the deer stand, and bear just comes walking right on through. I'm like, why didn't you shoot it? <laughs> he's like, well, they're not in yet, and I'm like, oh, yeah, that's not because you know that bear is not coming back. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's it's weird how often they come back my uh when i first bought this place my first encounter with the bear up in the field here um they were out you know probably 80 yards out poking around in the cornfield and everything and what they like to do is they'll lay down and roll around to get the corn down and then they'll just lay there and scoop it in with their paws and try to eat it you know yeah well this sow had two cubs with her and I see him and then they duck into the woods and I was like, Oh, she probably saw me. She's going to dip away and, you know, go up the Valley or whatever. She comes out about 10 yards from me actually. Cause I'm mm. sitting on the edge of this thing. And mind you, I, I sit on the ground. I only hunt off the ground. So, you know, I'm staring her 10 yards out in the face and then her cubs pop out right in between me. Oh shit. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm 70 or five yards from my house. All I brought was my bow. I didn't bring a knife because I was like, if I get something, I'll go back, drop all my stuff off, come back up, drag it back, got it at the house. No knife, nothing, just a bow. And I'm five yards from cubs and 10 yards from a mom. And I was like, maybe I shouldn't hunt here without a gun from now on. And that was the day that you started praying to God. <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah, I. Uh, that's, I mean... The cub thing just makes it so much worse. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, that was, you know, and normally they are pretty docile, even if they have cubs and stuff. But it's just one of those, like, you could tell she was kind of pissed off. But the moment she saw me move, she bolted out about 30 yards and then called, you know, they have, they'll communicate. So she called her cubs over and then they took off. Yeah. Well, that's, so. I'm glad that worked out that way. Is, yeah. <laughs> not to get too far off topic, is bear hunting like, I mean, it the way that I've seen some people do it is kind of similar to deer hunting. I mean, uh, it can vary. Yeah. For archery, it's, you just, you get to find a good food source or a good, you know, pinch point or a travel corridor or something like that for a rifle though. If you have snow cut a track and run that thing down. Yeah. Cause you're going to find it eventually. Yeah. I've seen some places that, uh, they actually bait for bear and it looks like yeah. the greatest thing ever. They're like throwing cookies and candy and oh, yeah. all kinds. <laughs> when I first saw that on Facebook on some some bear hunting thing, I was like, why is this dude selling a 55-gallon drum of chocolate chip cookies? <laughs> like, I thought it was a joke. And then I come to, like, I see it over yeah. and over. I'm like, oh, wow, that's what they bait with. I was like, yeah. I thought they were just trying to, you know, accommodate to, you know, us fat guys and sell us big things of cookies. But apparently right. it's good bear food. So Yeah. I actually, I have a buddy in West Virginia. Um, they're allowed to run them with dogs down there. Kind of like you would coyote hunt a rabbit hunt. And he sends me snaps all the time. He's like, treat the bear this morning. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me right now. Like (laughs) I'd be lucky to have that happen here. Yeah, for sure. So back, back to, uh, the meat thing. So we've established that where they live can change the flavor. Now does the, the sex and age of the animal is another one that I've heard, um, you know, you've heard like a rutted out buck, um, yep. can, can be real bad. You hear that the younger they are, the better they are. How true is all of that about it? Like, um, maybe season of, or uh, time of the season, like is a, is a, a doe in September when it's warm going to taste different than a rut deer versus like a winter January deer. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I'll, uh, I'll give you an example here. You can go to the store and buy just regular beef and then you can buy veal, right? In a lot of places, veal is kind of like a pricing. It's a lot more tender. It's a lot, you know, less flavorful in a way, stuff like that. Same thing happens in the wild. You know, if you get these, you know, I don't want to say shoot a fawn or anything, but if you get, you know, these half year, one and a half year old deer that don't have anything going on yet, they're going to be super tender. They're going to be super mild in flavor, everything like that. However, if you get a four-year-old buck mid-rut, it's going to taste pretty bad unless you know how to take care of it. And that's just due to the testosterone buildup. And, you know, what I learned, too, with the the wildlife degree, like, during the rut, most buck will hardly eat. And, you know, they can travel up to 20, 25 miles a day and stuff like that. When outside of rut, they eat about 
eight to 10 pounds of, you know, leaves forage a day just to be able to survive, you know? So these things mm -hmm. are just wearing their body out, you know, a lot of protein build up their body, starting to eat their muscles, everything like that. And that just impacts the entire flavor of the meat right there. Whereas, you know, late season, they're out of that. All of that's worked out of their system. They're still kind of starting to work on their fat reserves that they built up through the entire fall. So they're going to be a little bit better there and they're going to have a lot better fat reserves in them as well, which will help with cooking. You can render that out, you know, in a crock pot and stuff like that and get a lot more out of the animal than you would say come September as well. Right. So just because I don't really know a whole heck of a lot yet about cooking, I hear the term rendering fat a lot. What exactly does that mean? So when you, you know, when you harvest a deer or when you harvest a bear or something like that, when you skin that thing, you're naturally going to see a bunch of fat deposits, which, you know, they can be white, they can be yellow. It all depends on the type of fat and everything like that, yeah. that are either packed on the skin or packed in between the muscles and stuff like that. What I will do is I'll take a lot of that fat, try to clear it as, as much meat as possible. And there's two techniques to rendering as well. I won't really delve into those yet, but what you do is you cook it low and slow and get all that fat to just melt, you know, melt and get all the solids and all of the bad things out of it. And then after you kind of process it or filter it a couple of times and stuff like that, you're left with a great grease to cook with or to add to dishes and stuff like that. Very similar to what happens with bacon when you cook it. You throw bacon in a pan, you see all the fat that's marbled through that bacon. But when it's done, it's crispy and there's, you know, a half inch of fat in the pan of grease. Right. Kind of the same technique right there that you would use. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yep. So in, in terms of sex of deer, you've always, I, I've always heard too that um, especially once you get beyond like one or two years, um, people always say shoot doe to eat, shoot bucks for antlers, things like that. Do I, I've never really, anytime I've eaten venison, um, I personally, I haven't really noticed a difference, but then again, I, you know, I don't really know. It all depends on how it was prepared, um, and how it was cooked. But is, does there tend to be when you can kind of tell, like someone like you is going to be able to tell, um, like back to like wine, like a wine, whatever, sommelier or whatever, he can really tell the differences in wine where to me, a red wine's a red wine, you know, right, right, right. it tastes yeah. the same, gets you hammered, gives you a headache. But so <laughs> for someone like you, have you noticed between, um, dough and bucks, do you notice a difference in flavor? I do sometimes. Um. You know, depending how close I get a buck to October or November time frame, you will notice a little bit increase of a lot of people call it gaminess. To me, that is just how that animal tastes. You know, it's comparing store-bought beef to, you know, homegrown beef that was butchered and, you know, for, you know, it's completely fresh and everything right. like that. Um, dough, I do find they tend to have a little bit less flavor overall. Um, that's just cause they're not out there sparring with each other all the time or, you know, making scrapes, building testosterone and everything like that. So I will find that dough do give a little bit milder flavor in that regards, which the dough, I will tend to can my meat from them. Um, you know, I tend to do a lot more canning or whole backstrap or whole hindquarter or something like that, just because I know the flavor that I'm going to get into with that isn't as strong as you know, necros from a buck or ground beef from, a, or, you know, venison from a buck or anything like that. Right. What is, and here's another one I don't know about, um, canning. So obviously I know what canning is in terms of like vegetables and things like that. Yep. I don't know what is canned meat. What is the process or what are you trying to achieve with that? Uh, so it's really just long-term storage of, you know, some sort of meat without having to freeze it in a way. Um, the way that we do it, you know, we get our, our, mason jars everything like that pack them absolutely full with just cubed up meat you know we don't grind it we just cube it up um maybe a little bit of beef broth in there i tend to actually make like a homemade venison stock out of the bones that i will tend to put in there as well just uh, that's what i like to do i take the time and i do it um then you just can it as you would you know vegetables or anything like that it's shelf stable for you know a couple of years 
my favorite dish, I'll take that, pour it in a pan, mix it with, you know, ground gravy or, you know, like a beef stock or something like that. Let it reduce amazing beef tips over noodles in about a half hour compared to letting it stew for two or three hours. Yeah. What, uh, what do you put in with the venison that preserves it without refrigeration or freezing? Like what? Uh, the canning just does it on its own. So when you can, uh, we hot can, so we will, you know, put it in the canner, you add your water, you boil it for a set amount of time with your lids and everything like that on it. Essentially what that will do was it will raise a temp in that high enough where it will kill any bacteria or any pathogen that's in there and it will seal it as well when it cools down. So nothing can get in there. So essentially it can last, you know, a year or two and not have any micro, you know, bacterial growth or anything like that, just because it was essentially sterilized and sealed at the same time. That's awesome. That's something I really want to give a try this year because I've, I've seen tons of people can meat and I've just never, (laughs) honestly, when you don't know what it is, you're kind of like, Oh, why would you do that? But I mean, does it give it a different, I mean, what's the flavor going to be versus like, just, you know, you throw, you you package all your stuff up, throw it in the deep freezer. Um, Are they going to, are they going to taste similar still? Uh, They tend not to just because when the canning process happens, that venison gets fully 100% cooked through. Right. And then it just sits in its own juices and everything like that. So depending on how much, you know, if you add water, if you add a bouillon cube, if you add garlic or something like that, if it sits for, you know, six months or so, that flavor just travels throughout everything right there. What will happen, though, is it is very, very, very tender at this point, though. It's like you cook the beef stew all day and that meat just shreds apart. You know, you can almost shake it and it will just shred apart right in the can right there. Um Compared to, you know, like fresh or frozen venison as well, it is a lot different, but it's almost, it's like a deeper, richer flavor that goes well with, you know, gravies and stuff like that. Yeah, that sounds really good. I'm going to hit you up later once I do get a deer down and make sure I'm not putting rotten food in a jar and then (laughs) eating it next summer. (laughs) Yeah. So... What are some of the uh, most common ways that you see people ruin their meat? Um, Kind of from, I guess, from maybe field to butcher. Um, What for for a new guy who maybe this year is the first year they're going to kill a deer? What are some of the top ways that you can ruin your meat? Uh, Number one is field dressing, personally. If that animal is not field dressed properly, you know, if you happen to nick the guts, and it gets all over the meat on the inside and everything, and you don't rinse that off immediately, that can actually taint that meat, you know, by the time you go to butcher it the next day or something. Um, The other thing too, you almost have to get that animal as cold as possible, as quickly as possible as well. And I don't mean just packing it full of ice or anything like that either. Get it up on a pole and skin that thing the moment you go back to wherever you're going, because that skin is so thick it's just holding all of that temperature in but that's what skin is designed to do is to help your body retain that temperature you know it it doesn't know whether you're dead or alive or whether you don't have guts or not you know it's just it all that fat's going to hold all of that temperature in and that temperature can actually help that meat go bad faster than anything as well um other than that, it's really about the aging process at that point. You know, I know guys that they'll bring it back and, you know, they'll skin it, cut it up and have it in the freezer within a couple hours. That flavor compared to letting it hang in cold for, you know, three or four days or even up to two weeks is vastly different at that point. When you age these deers, a lot of the blood will come out of it, you know, letting them hang and everything like that. And what people often mistake for being gaminess is that deer was processed so quickly that there's still blood and everything in the meat. And one of the main components in blood is iron. And that's what they're getting is that irony flavor, that metallic flavor that they don't like because they're not used to that in the ground beef that they buy from the store. You know, right. If you let that thing hang for a couple of days, a lot of that blood will drain out and a lot of that flavor will kind of go away and make that meat more mild in flavor at that point. Gotcha. And one thing you mentioned at the very beginning, again, this is, this is something that I've never really looked into. And for a new guy, it's going to be really good. 
Um, let's say you put a bad shot or you do Nick guts. I have always learned basically if anything from that stomach or the guts get on meat, it's bad. Um, is that really true? Uh, how long do you have? Cause it seems like you would, if you did nick something and you you're by fresh water or maybe you have a jug of water, clean water, how long do you have to wash it off before you would be like, eh, we're not gonna, we're not gonna mess with this anymore. Right. Yeah. Um, really once the meat changes color or, you know, it gets a different texture or something like that, that's when it goes bad. I have shot deer and unknowingly didn't field dress it properly, drug it the two miles back to my camp, let it hang for two days, didn't rinse it out. All the meat was still fine, you know, but it was cold enough at that point as well. If it's warm out and, you know, you get fecal matter or you get guts on there or something like that, try to rinse it off ASAP, but you're going to have a couple hour window where, you know, it's going to be okay. That stuff isn't going to seep all the way through the meat and ruin the whole hind quarter. If it changes color though, you can just cut that part out. You know, it's like moldy cheese. You just cut the mold off the cheese. The rest of it's still good. Essentially. Gotcha. You can do that as well with meat. Okay. Yeah. Yep. I've always wondered that. Cause you know, it's kind of like a, kind of like a wives tale. Like yep. if, if anything gets on that meat, it's bad instantly. And it, that's never right. really made a, a ton of sense to me because it's like, I understand like muscle, uh, you know, muscle and everything is like, you know, I, I understand things can seep into it, but I was right. always like, how, how does it ruin it instantly? Like there's gotta be, that's, that something's gotta be wrong with that. There's gotta be like a time frame here. Yeah. But there isn't really an exact time frame. I mean, I, I, I pick up a lot of roadkill as well, just because, you know, it's meat. I can generally get some sort of something off of it and it's better than buying meat from the store. Right. Um, I picked them up, you know, if it's cold enough out after, you know, like maybe a day or two, and it's all still fine, you know, yeah. that's really not an issue when it's cold enough out. Like I said, if it's warm, try to get it off immediately. But what I always do as well, I always have like a gallon jug of water in the truck if I'm going somewhere else hunting. Just so, you know, whenever I get the deer back to the truck or something, I can really take my time, rinse it out thoroughly just to be safe on that regards. Yeah, that's a great idea. That's that's something I'm going to start doing because... I usually have water in the car, but it's, you know, it, it's been opened. I've drank out of it. So I don't know that, right. you know, I yep. think carrying like a fresh gallon, that's, that's a pretty good idea. A gallon, cause it doesn't take up that much room. And then you got no, fresh water yeah. right there in the field. And, yep. you know, yeah. a lot of us don't have a walk-in freezer. Um, yep. a lot of the people that I know that hunt like to process it ourselves. Um, what is your, how do you recommend or what can we do to age a deer at home if we don't have like a walk-in cooler to do it? Yeah. Um, if it is cold enough out, you can just leave it hang right outside. Um, you know, you'll have to be mindful of whatever birds are lingering around this time of year. Um, you know, you'll have to be mindful of squirrels and stuff like that. I have a garage that's enclosed that, you know, I can hang it in there. It's not heated or anything. Um, yeah, I, I walked in the garage today and it was about 20 degrees colder than outside, you know. Yeah. There are ways of wet aging as well, where you'll skin it, quarter it, get everything you want, get a giant cooler, throw it in there full of ice, full of water and everything. And you just let that age on, you know, ice cold water for about a week or two or something like that as well. And that will help draw all of that blood out of that meat as well, because what the cold will do is cause those muscles to kind of contract and shrink and squeeze every, you know, last bit of stuff out of them. And it just makes its way out at some point. My brother-in-law, um, my brother-in-law is going to love that you just said that because, uh, down in, <laughs> down in Arkansas, I can't speak for every person down there, but the people I do know down there, they don't feel dress. They don't, they shoot a deer, they drag it out, they take it home they quarter it without gutting it. Um, and then he has always, yeah, he fills, you fill the cooler with ice, you put your meat in there and then you fill it up with water and yep. basically it's submerged. And I'm like, I have never, I'm not speaking from my own experience, but other people, I have never heard anyone say to do that. They always say, make sure you keep your, your meat dry. And he's like, man, he's like, you've eaten my venison. Does it ever taste bad? And I'm like, no, it tastes great. 
I just don't, I don't know why. So Josh, that one's for you, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'll give you an example here real quick too. So most of the meats that you will buy from a supermarket are in a way wet aged as well, right? A lot of them will come in cryovac to which they're just, you know, vacuum sealed up and that's it. Well, as they're doing that, the lack of pressure inside of that bag will cause that meat to contract and everything like that. Same with the cold. And when you open it, there's a bunch of red liquid on the inside. You know, that is, it's not blood. It's called myoglobin. Um, it's a part of blood. That's what kind of helps give it its reddish tint and everything like that. But it's just sitting in that cold liquid for, you know, up to a month on end at some points, you know. So essentially, a lot of the meat you buy is wet aged already. Doing it in the cooler is kind of just a more redneck way of doing it, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it will change your flavor. You know, it all depends. You know, I guarantee you could take a deer, you could put a hindquarter in the cooler, put one just hanging outside, hang one in one. This is one of my other tips too. Find a buddy who's moving, look on Facebook Marketplace, find a fridge for, you know, a hundred bucks that you can keep somewhere. Tear out all the shelves, find a way to rig up a system in there with hooks. That's a walk-in cooler essentially right there, you know? You can hang whole quarters in there very easily and you can let it go as long as you want for the size of a fridge, you know, yeah. and you get an extra freezer out of it a lot of times too. That's, that's a great so, idea. Yeah. yeah. But you could, you could take, you know, three or four different methods of aging and all of them are going to taste a little bit different. Yeah. So what, what is a, like kind of a preferred temperature if you did like just let your deer hang or um, if you did go buy a fridge what where's that temperature threshold like does it need to be below freezing or no i like to keep everything at least below 40 like the house in my or yeah the house in my fridge the fridge in my house (laughs) i keep it 38 just because uh, that's the temperature i like my beer at um all of the you know walk-in coolers at work and everything like that we try to keep right around like 33 or 34 it just helps prolong things a little bit longer in that environment and everything like that. Naturally, the colder you go, the less likely bacteria is to grow as well, though. Um, I don't recommend going to like 32 or anything like that, just because meat can tend to start to freeze and freezing can cause weird issues as well, whether it's, you know, very fast frozen or very slow. It can actually ruin some of the meat just by how the ice crystals develop and puncture cell walls and everything like that. Gotcha. All right. Let's move into what you do best here. Um, so starting off with parts of the deer that people generally toss out or they don't take the time to get, what are some of your favorite cuts off of a deer that generally people just don't even mess with and what can you do with those? So maybe the neck meat or, you know, go ahead and take it from there. Yeah. Um, well, I'll just start right at neck meat there. A lot of people don't want to take the time and mess with cutting around the neck and everything, but that's a lot of people don't have the butchery experience to know how to do it quickly and work around the bones and stuff. Even without that, cut the neck right off and freeze it as a whole roast and throw that thing in a crock pot with you know some diced tomatoes and whatever other kind of seasonings you want it's really gonna make a great roast as it is right there there's enough connective tissue in the neck and enough fat in there that it's really gonna help break that thing down make it very tender almost like you know a stewed beef or something like that it will be delicious there uh one of the other cuts that a lot of people don't tend to use is a brisket, but you have to have a large enough animal to have, you know, wild game brisket. You can't have, you know, your hundred pounds dough that, you know, field dressed out weighs, you know, maybe 80 pounds right. or something like that. You're not going to get anything off of that. Um, you know, your briskets can come off of your 200 plus pound box and stuff like that. Granted, they're not going to look like your beef brisket. They're going to be a lot smaller, but people tend to just grind those. And that's, I I really like to utilize those. I'll smoke them, I'll braise them. You know, like I said, they are a lot smaller, but they're phenomenal in that way. A lot of processors and a lot of people as well, you get your deer hung up, you know, you quarter it, you know, you skin basically down to the shank and then that's it. And then they just cut that off and, you know, grind the rest of that. 
your shank will make you some of the best tacos you've ever had in your life if you give them the attention that they need. Um, you know, yeah, if, you, if you're going to use more ground meat, then by all means, go right ahead and do that. Shanks, though, there is so much connective tissue, so much fat inundated all throughout that meat, especially with a bone that contains enough bone marrow that actually gives some flavor and gives some collagen. These things are going to be pulled apart tender like the best pulled pork you've ever had in your life. What I like to do, I'll cook them and I'll just have people reach right in with their taco shell. You know, it's tortilla, just grab it right off of the bone, put their toppings on and eat it like a street taco. It is That's delicious awesome. that way. Yeah. Um, naturally, there's organ meats as well. Those are a little bit harder for people to get into. If you want to try it, I recommend starting with the heart first. That is essentially just a muscle. That really isn't an organ. That's a muscle with some valves in it. If you, you know, look up a couple of videos on how to process that, how to butcher that up. It makes great tacos. It makes great tartare. That tartare is going to be a lot harder for a lot of people to get into um, just because it's, it's still raw. However, any ungulate, so moose, elk, you know, cow, venison, something like that, you can eat raw. There is no issues with that at all. The issue comes into when, you know, you have pork, which isn't a true ungulate or like chicken and something. They will still carry diseases and stuff while they're raw and dead and everything like that. Um, Unless you have something that's, you know, granguinous or something like that in the red meat side of the world, you can eat it raw as is, you know, you'll be fine. Um, from there, you know, move on to try the liver. There's many, many techniques for that. A lot of it is like a buttermilk soak and then slice it up thin, you know, dredge it in enough breading where you hardly notice liver there and make a nice <laughs> sandwich out of it or something. Uh, I've had some kidney tacos recently as well. They are delicious if you know how to process those properly. You can get into a lot of lot of stuff where, you know, you can use a cold fat off of the stomach and stuff to wrap things. But that gets into where you're going to take, you know, eight hours to butcher something, even if you're really good at it at this point. You know, like I can have a deer done probably within an hour, hour and a half from start to finish. If I'm trying to get call fat out and trying to get all these organs and stuff, that starts in the field, you know? Yeah. That's, I have to be mindful of my cuts in the field and everything like that. And that's a lot harder to get those type of things. And that's all if you just want that reward or not, you know? How would you, how do you recommend in the field handling like, um, well, first of all, one thing you brought up with the heart that I just want to, <laughs> I just want to bring up. You always yeah. hear people say your first deer, you got to take a bite out of the heart. <laughs> and then you hear it goes back and forth with like, yep, that's what you need to do. And then other people are like, do not do that. It will kill you. Like, no. is, is that safe? If you can stomach it, is that safe to just take a bite right out of that thing? Yeah, you will be absolutely fine. Like I said, unless that animal has some sort of disease, which that's the only part is how, how do you know? You know what right. I mean? generally they won't if they're a healthy animal generally they won't i'd say nine times out of ten um the weird thing going on right now with cwd is we're not sure how that works with humans yet but that right you know that's a topic for a whole another day that's a whole another podcast in itself there um well that's something to be mindful of with the neck roast and stuff i've heard the neck roast and like bone marrow soups and stuff like that yeah. i i haven't had any issue with it yet but then again i'm, I'm not always normal as well <laughs> um personally though my father instead of making me take a bite out of the heart he made me drink a cup of the blood oh. which is much much more worse pathogens can actually live in blood for a little bit where in the muscle it's kind of iffy to get them there um that one was just absolutely disgusting to me i will never ever do that again personally the way i would do it you know if i you know when i have a son or whatever and i take him out I'm just going to start a fire and cook a little bit of the heart just so I know I'm safe right there. Right. You know? Yeah. Right. That way yeah, I'm not risking anything, but it's still a little bit of the tradition there, but traditions always need to be broken somehow in some sort of way, you know? Yeah. Well, it seems like the, as the years go on, like <laughs> it's just like everything's getting sicker. Everything's getting yeah. cancer. Everything's yeah. getting diseases. It's like, you know, it's, it's not like back in the fifties where everything was just like clean and everyone was fit and it was just, you know, now, Hey guys, right. these deer are getting COVID 
I don't right. know how I, I remember, I remember when that first came out, you know, it was about the time that like, you know, I, sorry if anyone gets offended, but like about the time where people started figuring out like, Hey, this isn't exactly what you guys said it was. Um, and then DNR's like, deer test positive for COVID. I'm like, how, right. how, <laughs> where did this deer get COVID from? This is the most ridiculous thing I ever heard. Right. And yeah. I was like, my God, CWD, like, let's talk about that. But now this thing's yeah. getting the Rona virus. I'm like, how is this even possible? Right. But, yeah, that just, that, it blows my mind sometimes. But let's say like, for me, like I, I would really like to use as much of this deer as I possibly can. Um, so yeah. I do plan on keeping the heart. I do plan on yep. keeping the liver. Um, mm-hmm. What is the best way to, once you, you know, once you cut that, that deer open and you get those yep. things out how do you recommend getting them from the field to a freezer or what? I assume those things you probably put right in the freezer or do you put that uh, in the, with the rest of the uh, meat for a couple of days? I will tend to just throw those right in the freezer. However, I'll process them a little bit, get some extra fat off of them, clean them up a little bit and stuff like that. In the field though, they sell antimicrobial game bags. Right. And that is the best way for those just because, you know, unless you want to carry a plastic bag out in the woods and stuff like that, I'll just carry those out, throw them right in there and then just tie it right to my bag. Um, And you you can just throw the heart right on in there. Yeah. Yeah. You'll be, I mean, it's living with it as it is in the animal. Anywho, you're going to be fine, you know, but I also don't pack out my deer. I drag all my deers out and stuff like that. So I'm not, you know, it's not going to be in there with, you know, the meat or anything like that. It's in its own separate bag with its, you know, all the organs are in one bag essentially. And that's getting, you know, tied to the backpack and walked out while the deer is getting dragged behind me. Can you eat like bone marrow or make bone broths and things like that with deer? Like you would? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, bone broth is the one I highly recommend. That one's a lot easier to do. The bone marrow... Like I'm, I absolutely love bone marrow for, you know, cows and stuff like that. I buy about 30 pounds at a time. All my bones are cut into like four inch chunks. I cook them all the time. I eat them all the time. Venison is a lot, lot different flavor though, that I really don't tend to care for in that regards. I'll make stocks out of it. You know, I'll let a bone broth go for, you know, 18 hours or something like that and get, you know, the most collagen and flavor I can out of it, but just simply doing, you know, a canoe cut on the bone where I can just scoop it out with a spoon after I've roasted it or something. Not my most favorite thing I've ever done. And how do you make, how do you do bone broth? Is it just, do you just boil bones? Yeah, uh, that, that could be, it's as simple as that. Really what I do, I will roast them with, you know, some carrots, onion, garlic, celery, uh, and then I'll just take it, throw it all in a crock pot, turn it on low, and fill it up to the very top, you know, as much as I can fit in there without it, you know, going to be able to boil over anything, just let it go. You know, I just, I made a pork broth for the wife the other day, took 18 hours and we did it overnight this time. And, uh, that was horrible because every time we would wake up in the middle of the night, all we smelled was that bone broth cooking. (laughs) And at one point I was like, I I can't sleep anymore. (laughs) It's three in the morning and I can't go back to sleep because all I smell is that right now. Yeah. And are there any best methods for, uh, cooking? I've heard, uh, I actually think it was from you talking about, um, most wild game deer specifically, it's such a low fat content that it's not generally a good thing to smoke. Um, crossing like baking, cast iron grill, pellet grill smoker. Is there a a general best method for, for most deer or does it kind of go by the cut? Uh, kind of goes by the cut. One of, you know, there's a couple methods depending on the dish you're kind of going to make. If you are going to do something low and slow, uh, I recommend braising. You know, you have to have some sort of liquid in there. If you just throw this thing on a sheet tray with, you know, your potatoes and onions and carrots, kind of like your grandmother would do with a roast, it's going to be just as dry as her roast was after three hours in the <laughs> oven. You know, yeah. you're not going to want to chew that thing. Um, I also recommend if you're going to do a braise, introducing some sort of acid component as well, like alcohol or you know vinegar or lemon juice or something like that because that will help break that meat down the longer it cooks as well um 
other than that, I tend to treat a lot like my back strips. I will treat very similarly to like a filet mignon in the way that fillets don't have a ton of fat through them, but they're very, very tender. So I cut mine a little bit thicker, you know, probably two to three inches thick for these steaks. And I will do them, you know, I'll butter base them and things like that. Um, if I'm going to smoke something though, I will do, essentially do whole bone on, you know, hind quarter or front shoulder or something like that. And I will also tend to try to use some rendered fat to coat that as well, or even melt it down and inject it into the meat itself just to help more fat stay throughout that meat as well. Most people at home aren't really going to get into that though. And that's the hard part. Um, but for like tacos and stuff like that, which a lot of people will do, your ground meat, I always recommend adding some sort of other fat to it. And I'm not talking like butter or anything like that. Like, yeah, butter's fat. You want a solid fat to add to this. So a lot of people, like what we do with the shop when we process deer, we add 50% pork to that mixture as well to make sausages, to make your summer sausage and your meat sticks and stuff like that, because it, it needs that fat component to help bind everything together. But if you're just going to do like street tacos with, you know, a steak or something, cook it as regular steak, you know, that, that's not going to have any issue because what you're generally going to get from a store isn't going to have a ton of fat marble through it anyhow, you know? Yeah. So tell me, you, we were talking about, um, your, one of your specialties or one of the things you really like to do is, is sausage. Yeah. Uh, you said you made like a gazillion different kinds by now. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I, I think we're pushing 70 different kinds. I think at the shop, we have about 47 to 50 at all times of different kinds of sausage there. Um, sausage itself is a great way to use the cheaper cuts of meat off of your venison or use some left up stuff in your freezer. You know, if it's, you know, mid-October, I have three pounds of ground meat left. I'm going to make it into sausage right now. You know, you don't need... 25 pounds to make a batch of sausage you can make it out of a pound if you want to but what that does is allow you to experiment with how much fat you want to add how much pork or beef fat or you know whether it's venison fat that you have or something else just get the texture that you want you know how many times are you going to grind this to get the texture you want and then sausage in its essence is protein fat and salt the salt will help kind of liquefy the fat as it cooks to help bind everything you know together and everything like that and then after that you you can do whatever you want you know flavor wise if you want a sage breakfast sausage salt pepper sage maybe a little bit of other flavors in there as well and you're done right there you know or you could make a hot italian you know by adding cayenne paprika your red pepper your fennel things like that and stuffing it into a casing or leaving it loose. Um, one of the things I always recommend to people, you know, a lot of people these days have your favorite, you know, home counter KitchenAid mixer. Yeah. They have a sausage grinder or, you know, a meat grinder and sausage stuffer kit for that. Um, I think the cheaper run runs at maybe $60. It's all plastic. I'm not the biggest fan of it, but if that's all you can do at the time, that's all you can do. That's you know, use it till it breaks or it might last you a lifetime. You know, who knows? I have the more expensive one. It's like 150 or 200 bucks. It's all metal, um, easier to clean, you know, not as clanky, things like that. I can be a little bit more aggressive with it. And, you know, if I'm going to grind a whole deer, I'll, I'll do that at the shop, you know, cause you know, I don't want to run, you know, 80, 90 pounds of meat through this thing at my house and bowls and stuff like that. When, I have an industrial grinder and industrial vacuum sealer. I can do all that at the shop, but at home, you know, I can save a, you know, pound or two of just regular meat, run it through the grinder, mix it into sausage, get a casing out, soak it in my water and stuff it right then and there and have, you know, sausage sub for dinner if I want to, or something like that. Right. It gives you a really great base to build the flavors that you like out of to learn kind of how to build flavors in other cooking, you know, your sausage could be the segue to your moose ragu that you do that you braise for three hours, you know, just because you know what flavors you like already, throw them into that and see how it does. Yeah. What's the deal with uh gummy bear sausage or gummy bear bratwurst, man. I've had that and it was like at the same time, the best, but the worst thing I've ever had in my life. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. 
So you guys do, do that kind of stuff. Of we do a version that show up where we put Swedish fish in. Oh, uh, dude. Just you need because, to send me some of that. That's yeah, my favorite hey, we candy. Should, we should. <laughs> uh, just because our whole area has a big Swedish, you know, heritage and things like that. So we put it in there. It is odd. It has to be eaten hot because if it cools, the fish just turn into absolute rocks and you cannot chew through them. <laughs> but it's okay. Um, you know, I mean, we have sausages ranging from a blueberry maple to one that we grew our own ghost peppers for to put into this thing to like a cheesy bratwurst or we have a very authentic boudin that, you know, we mix rice and green peppers and onions and weeks into and everything like that. Um, we don't deal a whole lot with the candy thing though. I'm getting there. I'm trying to convince the guys to let me do a uh, Elvis sausage here with peanut butter, banana and bacon in it. Oh, there you we'll go. We'll see how that one goes though. You know, I've actually... I've had uh, Elvis burgers and the first time I ever had it, it was like almost, a, it was on like a dare. Cause it was like, that's going to be disgusting peanut butter, you know, on a burger. And yeah. I'm like, I'll try it. That is extremely good. If anybody out yeah, there has never done it, I don't care if you grill your own at home. I don't uh, just get a hold of a burger and then slap a bunch of peanut butter on it. I promise you yep. it it is amazing. So is there yeah, it is delicious. Oh, for sure. Is there any like preferred like pairings in terms of like I know a lot of people, you know, you eat you eat your your nice meals and you want to drink have a drink with it. Is there anything that you uh, prefer uh alcohol pairings or something with with venison dishes? Yeah. Um you know, if you're going to go more of like a stew route, I, I so I I personally I cook with a ton of alcohol. There is almost alcohol in every sauce that I make that is a hot sauce. You know, like tonight I had half a bottle of red wine in this braise that I did. Um, you know, a lot of times, like if I make a mushroom cream sauce, I always put beer in that as well. I tend to say whatever alcohol you cook with, drink that with the meal as well, because those flavors just tie together naturally already. Um, if you're not cooking with alcohol though, and you do like a stew, I recommend like a darker beer, you know, like an Oktoberfest, even up to a stout at that point, just because that's going to lend itself well to those types of flavors as well. Even a red wine can get to that point because a lot of the same tannins and everything like that that are found in red wine are going to be found in longer braised beef dishes or venison dishes and stuff like that too. Um, you know, if you're doing tacos or something like that, I recommend almost like a fruitier drink or a lighter beer in a way too, something that you can introduce some citrus fruit into to help with these acid that the dish is going to need. You know, you always see people that will top their tacos with like lime juice or something. If you're drinking a Corona with some lime in it, you're not really going to need that lime on top of your, on top of your taco unless you absolutely want it at that point. Right. Um, you know, or, if you're smoking something all day and you got a case of Miller Lite sitting over there that you're drinking all day, <laughs> might as well continue on with that, man, because you're already used to it. For all my folks in the Midwest, especially Iowa, he meant to say Bush Light, but uh, yeah, if you got yeah, the Miller, yeah. <laughs> if you got Miller Light, do you? <laughs> uh, well, hey, man, is there anything else uh, game related or cooking related or butcher related you wanna you wanna talk about? Just a quick uh, kind of why I think people should butcher their own animals at home. Yeah. Too, you know, like kind of you're founded on the, these adult hunters that are getting into, you know, adult onset hunting and everything like that. Butchering at home is so much simpler than what people make it out to be. You know, you don't have to go through and get every single speck of meat off the bone if you don't want to. You don't have to go through and have a bandsaw to cut round steaks out of the hindquarter because that's what you always grew up with. You know, I have a whole front shoulder frozen right now down below that had I broken that down, it would have taken me an extra, you know, 20 minutes, half hour. I saved my time doing that, you know, just because I know what I'm going to make out of that. Your shanks are going to give you so much flavor. They're simple, just right where the knee is or where that joint is on the front shoulder, cut it right off you know, cut it at the next knuckle down and freeze it. It's as simple as that. Um, I think the bearded butchers who, 
funny enough, I am bearded. I'm a butcher. I'm not a bearded butcher, though. <laughs> uh, they have a wonderful video on butchering venison. And they make it, you know, they walk you through it and they tell you kind of do how to do it at home, too. They don't use a ton of the things that you would use at home or at a shop, like a bandsaw or anything like that. It's really simple to get into. It's really cheap. You can buy one of the things to hang your deer out for like 30 bucks, I think. You can buy the grinder attachment for a KitchenAid for like, you know, like I said, 60 bucks or so. Or even you can find a cheap grinder for, you know, maybe 100 or 200 bucks or something. Or Facebook Marketplace is always an amazing place to score deals like that for stuff like that. Yeah. But you can change the entire outcome and perspective of your dishes and other people's minds on your wild game dishes if you butcher them at your house and you don't just take it to a processor and get your hot italian sausage your backstrap and burger and that's it you know yeah that's where a lot of this you know hey i want to know where my meat comes from well dude you're doing it yourself in your garage like there there's no more knowing to it you know exactly what happened to that now you know right and that gives a lot of people a lot of sense of pride in why they hunt and everything like that. And it really, really, really reinforces ethics in people as well, why they hunt and everything like that. That respects that animal. So like that thing died so you could eat, you know, by creating a dish, by butchering it at your house or everything like that, that makes that animal live in your mind forever. That gives that animal immortality at this point. Yeah. And you took its life, you know, it, you owe it that respect to let it live on forever so you could eat for it. Absolutely. I, that's, I couldn't have said it better myself. I, I, I tend to feel the same way with it. I, I kind of always say like, if you're, uh, you know, a lot of people, they want to do all of, they buy all the gear, they take the time, they, you know, put in all the time in the woods, this and that. And then it's like the minute that shot goes off, they want to be done. They want to be yeah. done with it. Yep. And it's like, you, <laughs> if you're man enough to kill something, you should be man enough to take care of it afterwards. And Absolutely. Yeah. To, to what you said, there's no, no better way to show respect to that animal than to go through it all yourself and uh, not just drop it off somewhere, you know? And a lot of people will say, well, I don't, you know, I, I get more out of it from a butcher. I don't necessarily think that's true. People get tripped up on like, well, I don't really know how to do it. I don't want to leave meat behind and I just screw right. the meat up. And it's like, you probably are going to get more off of that deer doing it yourself, especially if you take the time to, to take the organs and to do the shanks and to do all the oh, extra yeah. little stuff. Just it's to me, it's just like you owe it to that animal to finish the entire job. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. And you know, a lot of people will drop it off the butcher they'll get their stuff back and it's, you know, 75% of it is just burger at that point. Right. You don't have to do that. You can cut the ribs out and have deer ribs some night if you want to, you know, you can, you know, have your whole front shoulder, have your whole hind quarter, stuff like that, where you're not just getting crappy steaks, crappy burger and everything like that. You can take your time and pick as much or as little meat off the bone as you want to. Um, you know, my biggest recommendation, find a couple of videos that will walk you through the joints and where everything are and stuff like that to help you go through this. And what I, what I did when I was first learning too, I'd put that video, I'd prop my phone up, put that video, I'd walk through it step by step, you know, I'd make my cuts and go right through it along with it. And it helped out so much on how to learn where the joints are, where to cut and everything like that. You know, like I said, I can have a whole deer done start to finish. 45 minutes to an hour at this point for me if i'm doing it you know at the shop for someone we can knock a deer out in probably half an hour and have it completely done and over with you know it's yeah. all how fast you want to go and stuff like that but most processors aren't just getting in your deer they're getting in you know your neighbors and 300 other people all in the same week they want it done as fast as possible you know they right. don't want to stay up for 48 hours in a row butchering <laughs> deer. Right. You can get a lot more meat off those bones than that guy is going to care to Yeah. just because he has 300 more to go through. Yeah. But Hey man, uh, this is, this has been a great, great show. I I've really enjoyed everything that we've been talking about. Let everybody know where they can follow you on social, um, anywhere on the internet that they can get a hold of you and follow along. 
Yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, you know, Facebook, Gunnar Emberg, or The Hungry Huntsman. I'm on both of those quite regularly. Instagram is The Hungry Huntsman with periods in between both words there. Um, you can also email me at the hungry or gunner at the hungry huntsman pa.com because my domain name was taken. So I had to put PA at the end of that ah. from Pennsylvania. Um, yeah, man, feel free to reach out with questions, whatever you want. I will try to help you through whatever questions you have. And if I don't know the answer, I can get you to someone that does. Well, Hey man, I really appreciate you spending time with me tonight. Hey guys, make sure you're checking us out um, on Instagram as well. We're under at Antler Feather Co. We're over on YouTube, Antler and Feather Co. with the and sign, no spaces. We're on Facebook as well. Um, I'm probably avoiding TikTok because I love America and TikTok's a Chinese propaganda whatever machine. But uh, if you guys like this show, if you learn something new, if you feel like you had, you know, you, you got something now that you can take into the woods with you or take out of the woods with you now um, after listening, then please share, subscribe, follow, rate, and review wherever you're listening. I say all this because when you follow, rate, and review, it helps the podcast get in front of more people. I'm not trying to make money off this. This is just something I love to do. Um, So we want to get it in front of as many people as we can to share as much information as we can. And ultimately, that's going to help me keep getting great guests on the show so that you can continue to learn to make yourself more deadly in the woods. So I appreciate every single one of you guys that have listened this week. I really do. I don't I don't take any of you for granted. And we're going to catch you guys next week. This is the Antler and Featherco podcast. You are listening to the Antler and Featherco podcast.